Starting, uh, well, last week and this week, I, I had just like a little mini-series on Christmas called Christmas Presents. Last week, uh, my mind just went blank, right? As I said, oh, last week we talked about praise, how praise is a present that God has given us for Christmas. And this week, it, it's not so much a present per se, but the one word I had was wait. But I want to say more so that the title is The Wait is Over. Do you ever just look forward to having the wait for Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or Christmas evening? Whenever you open up presents, can you just not just not just wait till the, the wait is over? You get to tear into those presents? Maybe not now as an adult, but as a kid. Do you remember as a kid wanting that? I remember sitting in front of the Christmas tree just looking at presents, especially if there was a present that I knew I was going to possibly get. And I just could not wait for the day. And I just fantasized about opening that present. I remember the one in particular that comes to mind is my first, actually my only, Nintendo. The original. And I remember my, my uncle was actually going to buy this for my brother and I. And I remember waiting to open up that present. Didn't know if I was going to get it for sure, but I knew. And I actually do remember knowing for sure. Because I did. I ripped it a little bit. And just to see that that was there was good enough, but I remember just waiting to open it. It seems like nowadays, all I do is wait. I remember like, this is, this is just, uh, actually any uh, construction guy could probably uh, uh, appreciate this, but how much do you have a deadline and you hurry up just to wait? Like you get all your work done and then you have to wait for it to, to happen. How about waiting in line? Does anybody like waiting in lines? I hate waiting in lines. But, you know, I was actually reading about waiting in lines. I'm not going to bore you with all the details when the first line waiting was, all that kind of stuff. But I read something about psychology of waiting in lines. Do you understand, do you know why there's like news racks at the grocery store and there's bubble gum and all that kind of stuff? Those are just impulse buys. Those are things to try to make you be satisfied with waiting in line because you can actually buy something else while it's there. There's a lot more behind that. But waiting... Now we have the wait is over for us. Good things come to those who wait. Everything we do now seems to be about waiting in lines. You know, there's some lines I won't wait for. Even though I do enjoy a good Big Mac. And this is especially when it comes to going right there on exit 70. Six? Is that where it's at? Where, where, where the, the Love Station and the Burger King, 72? So, so right there, if I come in, and now everything's waiting through a drive-thru, and I can look, and if I can see a long line at McDonald's or a short line at Burger King, I'm going to Burger King. Because a burger's a burger, right? Okay. But there's some things that we won't wait in line for. There's other things that we will wait in line for. Uh, actually, one that I, I just came to my mind, one I really wanted to wait in line for, but we didn't, was we were in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, this is right before we moved here. Avery was like two months old, and I wanted to go to Savannah, Georgia. Seven months old, okay. She was like super young. And I wanted to go to Savannah, Georgia, because that's like the home of Forrest Gump, one of my favorite movies, and you know where, where he sat on the bench? That is in Savannah. And so we wanted to go to, to, to Savannah and all this stuff, go through all this. I even got pictures of me sort of sitting there looking like Forrest. But there was a place that I really, really wanted to go, and it was Paula Deen's Buffet. This is why Paula Deen was still, like, number one on the Food Network before she started saying stuff she shouldn't have probably said. 
But anyways, uh, we go to the place where Paula Dean's buffet restaurant was at, and literally, it was three quarters of a block, and it was slow. And so we thought, you know what, I want to go there so bad, but it was like 90 degrees, 90% humidity, had a seven-month-old with us, we're not waiting for that. Even though it was so good, we didn't wait and go. So someday I need to go back to Savannah because I still want to have Paula Dean's good southern comfort food. Because unfortunately in the south, I never really got that. You, 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 okay, this is whole, I'm going to ruin my sermon right now. But you'd think that living in the South, because we lived in Alabama for three years, that you'd have just that really good Southern comfort food. And there's only one person, Miss Laura Causey, who had good Southern comfort food. Everywhere else, it wasn't. It was cheap and gross. And, but I'm hoping that Paula Deans is exactly what they said it was. But anyways, waiting in lines. All of that to say this. What are you wanting or waiting for this Christmas? And I'm not necessarily talking about gifts or something that you want. The real question is, it's not even about Christmas presents per se. It's more so, what are you standing in line for or waiting for in your life? You know, it seems like so often that we are waiting for something. Waiting for that promotion. Waiting for a house to be built. Waiting for a truck. Waiting for retirement. Anybody wait for retirement? (laughs) A couple. We're waiting for these things in our life, thinking that once I get here, then life will get really good. But what are you waiting for? You know, as I look at the Christmas story, last week we talked about praise and, and, these, and these extraordinary circumstances. This week, as I'm looking through the Christmas story, I'm, I'm looking at somebody, his name is Simeon, who waited and waited and waited for someone who is to be called the Messiah. You know, the Christ child, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And I think he's probably waited longer than anybody else for anything for the greatest gift to ever be received. How much better would we understand Christmas if we could better understand Simeon? The expectation he had waiting for the Messiah. You know, he is, he's that guy that shows us what waiting is really like. He's a person who grasped that one thing that he needed to have in his life. That one thing that is worth waiting for more than anybody else. And my notes I put a capital O. The one thing, Jesus. Amen. He knew what it was to wait. We're going to see how Jesus really made his life complete. And in scripture how it says, now I can die. Because I've waited for the Lord. You know, of all the characters in the Bible, or in the Christmas story, why is it that we never think about Simeon? I'll be honest, it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago, I, I was doing a, uh, a funeral for Don Marbet, and I preached on Simeon, and, and waiting and, and stuff, and I thought, you know, I haven't, I haven't thought about Simeon much. You know, not one song that we just sang about talked about Simeon. I have never seen anything about Simeon. I I don't remember uh, growing up and having like the little manger scene. Where's Simeon in that? I don't remember in any any, uh, church program someone saying, I want to be Simeon. The creepy old guy is sitting around the temple waiting for kids. (laughs) Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. But that's how I always kind of thought of like, what's this guy just sort of sitting there around the temple saying, okay, Simeon, why are you here? Why do you have that look on your face? Why are you smiling? I'm just... 
you know, I'm just, just waiting for that kid. <laughs> no, you go to jail for that now, okay? You don't do that. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but Simeon, you don't hear any songs about him. He's on the manger scene. There's not a single Christmas decoration that has Simeon on it, but yet I think he is probably maybe one of the most misunderstood, but also mis- or underrepresented characters we hear about in the Christmas story. So where does Simeon show up? Again, in our songs we've been singing about, okay, you have this, this virgin who uh, has a baby named Jesus, and you have shepherds in the field, and they come and they worship him, and then uh, Mary and Joseph go home. And then eight days later, after the birth of Christ, they go back to the temple. And it's here is where he is circumcised, and, and then he, uh, I'm sorry, no, I got that, okay, I'm, I'm close on this. There's actually, there's a whole part of my sermon I'm going to take out because it's like kind of geeky and long, but uh, I need to make sure I'm on track here. But you, you see, he's born, he's circumcised the eighth day, 33 days later, you can read all about this in Leviticus chapter 12 if you're interested, okay? 33 days later, they bring him to the temple to present him, to make sacrifices for him, and it's in this moment that Simeon has his debut in Luke chapter 2. After this, it's like two years later, that's when the wise men. So between the shepherds and the wise men, you have this time, 40 days after the birth of Christ, that you have Simeon come into the show. So Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given to him by the angel, even before he was conceived. When it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of the child... So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, each a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there's a whole lot about that. And again, if you want to know the details of why they had to go to the temple, why it was 40 days they had to go, uh, why eighth, the eighth day for circumcision, why did you have to have the, the lamb to sacrifice? All of that is in Leviticus chapter 12. And I'm just going to cut off about 15 minutes of my sermon right there. So let's leave that there. So between this time of the shepherds, hearing about the Christ child, going to Bethlehem to see him, and between that and then years later with the wise men, you have Simeon on day 40, seeing Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus at the temple. So let's keep going. Verse 25. It says, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required. So here's a man, probably older in age, says he was a devout and righteous man. He had things in order in his life. He had a good relationship with people around him, and he had a good relationship with God. And it says that he walks in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he is guided by him. So this is where the, the... my misconception of the creepy guy walking around the temple, I don't think that's how it was. This was a guy that he was at the temple, he was serving, but he was probably at home, and the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, now is the time. Go to the temple. And as the Holy Spirit guided him to the temple, he saw the Christ child. He saw his Messiah. 
So he's walking with God. And I was just thinking about this for a moment. How, how do you walk with God? I mean, do you have such a relationship with the Lord yourself that when the Holy Spirit leads you somewhere, do you do that? Or are you resistant to it? Do you hear that the voice of God leads you and your family where you should be going in this life, this time? You understand that for 400 years, if you read through your Bible, up to this point where, where Zechariah was told about John, his, his son John the Baptist, and how he'd name him John, how he'd be a forerunner of the Christ, that there had been 400 years of prophetic silence. Nobody had heard anything from God for 400 years. And now all of a sudden, as the onset of, of the return, or actually the, the first coming of our Lord as a child, as a lamb, people start hearing things. Simeon is hearing things, and he is told, you will see the Messiah before you die. This has to have been amazing. Again, I don't appreciate or understand Judaism or, or the Hebrew backgrounds nearly as much as I probably should. But from Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of the coming Messiah, all the way through the Old Testament, everything is pointed towards one day, Israel, you will be delivered from your oppression. You'll be delivered from sin. You'll be reunited in perfect relationship with your Heavenly Father. And it'll come through the Messiah. This is what Simeon was eagerly waiting for. Nothing else mattered in his life. Nothing was worth, worth more to wait for than to see his Messiah. And he was told, until, until you see this promise, you won't die. You will see him before you die. So he wasn't this creepy old guy hanging around the temple checking out the kids. He was a devout, righteous man eagerly waiting to see salvation. So when Mary and Joseph show up to the temple to make their offerings for their son, Simeon knows this is him. This is what I have been waiting for for so long. This is my Messiah. But you know what's amazing is that when God has us something for us in our lives, he always gives us more than what we expect. I've seen this time and time and time again in my life. As I put my faith in God, his faithfulness to me is so much more than I could ever expect or hope for. Amen. Just a verse that confirmed that. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And here Simeon is just hoping and knowing that he'll see the Messiah but we find out so much more happens. So in verse 27, it says, That day the Spirit led him, Simeon, to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I mean, so he saw... The Christ child. He saw his Messiah. He actually didn't just get to see him. He got to pick him up, wrap his arms around this baby, one he didn't even know. He says, now I can die. I not only have seen my Savior, I'm holding salvation in my arms. It brought so many memories back. Think about even like with, with Avery and not so much with Claire because people in the Northwest are very respectable people. Not that the South isn't. But uh, something that happened all the time with Avery, she's a little baby, we'd come to church and they'd go, give me that baby. And you're like, I'm not, I don't want to give you my baby. No, give me that baby. And like they'd pass her around like a football, you know. But, you know, as a parent, you know, especially your, your child is there, you're like, this, this is your prized possession. But there's something about it. I mean, so many crazy things that already happened with Mary and Joseph. 
That when this, not crazy Simeon, but this devout, spiritual, godly man says, the Messiah, they already knew he was the Messiah. I mean, they've been told that. And when he put his arms out to reach out to Jesus, I think Mary just said, here you go, absolutely. And he held salvation in his arms. He says, now I can die. Why would he say this? It wasn't just because of a promise. It's because Jesus was all he had waited for in his life. Just let, grasp that thought for a moment. Think of all the things that you wait for, that we wait for. This is all he had waited for. This is the most important thing possibly to him. It's like there's nothing else. There is nothing greater than what I have in my arms right now. I can die. I've been thinking about that all week long. You know, we, we, put, we put these bucket lists together, like, I wish I could kill a deer this big, or have this truck, or go here to this place, or experience this, or get married, or have grandkids. All these things we put on a bucket list for life, that we want to have in our life. Simeon had a bucket list for death. I just want this one thing, and then I can die. I just want the Messiah. On that day in the temple, Simeon found it. Jesus, the baby Messiah. He held Jesus in his arms and it was done. There's nothing else that he could possibly want in his life to experience greater than Jesus. Nothing left to wish for. He wasn't sitting around thinking of a better time to come. It had arrived. I mean, think, think about this. I, I mean, I, I think of things I want to do, but nothing compares to this. Amen. We need to great, have a greater appreciation and understanding of the expectation that Simeon had to be with Jesus. I mean, think again, right now in your own life where you're at, how much time do you really devote to waiting on Jesus, wanting to be in his presence, wrapping your arms around him and his arms around you, experiencing the true present of Christmas. Literally, he said, you know what? I'm good now. I can die. I was thinking about this earlier as I was going through my sermon. I've, I've witnessed, I'm not going to say many, many deaths, but I've been around quite a few people the moment they pass over. I've seen some people without the Lord, and it is not a good experience. But I've also been in the presence of people who know Jesus. And when they take their last breath on this earth and enter into eternity, I've been in places where the, the presence of God is so strong, there's so much great praise because they know they're not really dying, they're going into eternal life. Right. And Simeon grasped this in his life. So let's keep reading. Verse 30, it says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, he is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said to him about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said, Mary, he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many, of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. That had to be hard to hear as well. 
I mean, here as your, as, your, as your baby is just, you know, brand new. Something's going to happen, Mary. He, he's not just the Messiah. He's going to be the sacrifice for the world. He's going to be the salvation for everyone. It wasn't that Simeon wanted to see a person before he died. But he wanted to see the answer to life. Jesus is that answer. It's the answer that would reveal to him that everyone will be saved or can be saved through him. He's not just the Messiah for Israel. He's the salvation of the world. Simeon held the answer for all of humanity in his hand. And he'd be that sign, Jesus would be that sign that points everybody towards salvation through him and back into relationship with the Father. Simeon, I mean, supernaturally, I mean, he, he understood these things. God had revealed to him, this is who Jesus is. He is the answer for the world. He understood what angels were declaring to the shepherds literally just a couple days earlier. We sang about that this morning. We sing about this, this glory of God. Simeon had this full revelation in this moment. But he knew that some would be drawn to the Christ, others would be repelled by him. Jesus would be that, 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 that attraction. I was trying to think of how to explain this. It's kind of like magnets. Did you ever play with magnets as a kid? I, I thought my girls have not played with magnets like I have, so I need to find some big magnets. So if you have some, let me borrow them. But do you remember you, you have like two big magnets, and you get them close, and you ever try to hold them apart, and they go, and they hold together? You're like, man, this is amazing. And then you can flip them around, and then you, you can't do anything to push them together. And it's like you have this force field in between, and you're like, you have your brother or your cousin or whatever, like, hey, put your hand right there. Watch this. I, I can't hit it. It doesn't work. So Jesus, not, he, he, like, he attracts people like Magnus, but then there's others who be repelled by him. I mean, think about that. There are some, when you mention the name of Jesus, but they can't stand it. It's crazy. Simeon understood all of this. Some people, they hear the message of the salvation. They hear about the gospel message. They, like, they just embrace it with everything. And every time I see that, and Pastor Kyle and I talk about this every time, when someone gets saved, especially if they're older, or they haven't been raised in church, it, it amazes me. The miracle of salvation, like, yes, I need that in my life. And they just grab on to Jesus. But there's others, no matter how many times you talk to them, it just pushes them away, it pushes them away, it pushes them away. Simeon prophesied this. This is what the Christ will be like. He will attract, but he will also repel. He'll bring healing and wholeness to some, but brokenness to others. Because that's just the way it is. We have to make our choices. And he's going to be a sign that literally would split history in half. I, our, our girls, as they're being homeschooled now this year, and, and we're going through history, and we talk about B.C. and A.D., and we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And, and Claire, she... she she does this thing like you know, the, the 1700s and something's before Jesus or after Jesus. And, and I said, okay, Claire, okay, that's B.C. And she doesn't quite grasp how you can have a 1700 before Jesus, but then you can have a 1700 after Jesus. Just by, because put a couple letters there. But the one thing we want her to understand and even understand is that Jesus literally split time. That time is based on before he came into this world and after he came into this world. That's how powerful he is. He's a sign where everyone's going to have to ask themselves this question. It doesn't matter who you are, you have to ask yourself, what will I do with Jesus? Will I embrace him in my life and accept him as my salvation, the greatest gift I could ever have, or will I push him away? You know, it has been 2,020 years 
And yet still, everything that, that revolves around our lives goes back to Him. It's never been changed. You know, we're nowhere near a Christian nation as the United States. I don't know of any nation that is. But yet still, the greatest holiday, whether you believe in Jesus or not, is Christmas. Nobody cannot acknowledge that the reason for Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Christ. Whether they do or not, it's because of Jesus. Amen. I mean, think about this. So many families are going to gather together for whatever reason. Some of them proclaim Jesus as their Savior and the Christ child. Others swear with his name. But you know, even that amazes me because you don't see people going, oh, Buddha. There's only one name that people swear by. It's the most powerful name in all the universe to ever be spoken. And whether they recognize it or not, it's because it's his name. It's God's name. So something happened, and Simeon in this moment understood that every moment came to this point where he would embrace the Messiah. His wait was over. There may be things I want to do in this life. There may be things that you want to do in this life. But I can tell you right now, nothing compares to that moment where you grab on to Jesus. You realize that's what you've been waiting for your whole life. Just a couple of questions before I just have a couple of points to talk about. I mean, if you're here, here in church, I can ask this question. You're, you're going to say, well, of course it's true. But, you know, what if God really did come to earth? I mean, I know he did. But, you know, sometimes our life and what we wait for doesn't really reflect that. Because we live for so many other things. But what if we lived our lives really believing that, that Jesus, God the Son, came to the earth for you and for me? What if this whole story that we, that we celebrate and, and remember and reminisce about and sing about every single year, what if it's really true? What if Simeon was right that this is not just salvation for the Jew, but salvation for all of humanity? Salvation for the world would come through Jesus. What if the Christmas story is really true? I know we all here believe it is, but what if we live it that way? Jesus, God the Son, really coming to earth for you and for me. So just a couple of thoughts. If it's true, now understand I say if it's true, I'm not being skeptical, it is true. I know it is. And for that reason, it proves to me how much God really loves me. And how much he loves you. I've heard it said my whole life that if you were the only person ever to be made, God would have still sent his son Jesus for you to save you. That's amazing love. This is all that God the Father did to get us back. He gave us his son. Understand, God could exist without us. But he has chosen to not exist without us. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. This is all that God went through to show us how much he loves us. He sent his son into this world. Perfect, sinless. Became our sacrifice. John 3.16, for, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God the Father gave us God the Son. Because he loves us.
you, you could be here right now. I mean, I, my question is how many of you are here right now in this place and you have hardships in your life? You have wrongs that have been done to you. You're stuck with things you wish you weren't stuck with. You may even feel like you're unlovable because of what the world has done to you because there might be people not even loving you. Everything that everybody has told you so far in life and how it's going to mess you up has actually happened to you. You're caught up in, in images the world says you're supposed to be or things you're supposed to have. But then you hear the truth of Christmas that Jesus is Lord and that you are loved. And in that moment, it can change everything in your life. Embracing the love that we have uh, through Jesus is, is, the, is the best gift. Nothing compares to it. So if the Christmas story is true, which it is, then understand you're loved by God. Number two is this. It proves how much you are worth. I don't like things that are cheap. I don't. They, they frustrate me. I was taught, buy something good the first time, otherwise you're going to have to buy ten of the cheap things, right? And you're going to spend more money on the cheap things than if you just bought the good thing the first time, right? right. Nobody likes something that breaks, but you know, there is nothing cheap about Christmas. I'm not even talking about Jesus. I'm just talking about right now, this Thursday. There's nothing cheap about buying stuff for our girls. Or same with yours, right? You know, we, we can say, okay, this is the mark right here. I'm not going to go above this limit. It seems like every year we do. And ultimately, why is that? Because they're worth it. You know? You're welcome. They're worth it. I, I was just putting like a story here. I was thinking like price tags. And not only that, you, you can do price match. You can see, uh, but price match doesn't even work. Like I like to go to either like Cabela's or Sportsman's Warehouse or wherever. They, they say, we'll match any price. And that gets you in the door, right? But then if the SKU number doesn't match, if it is, I mean, it could be the exact same model but have a C by it. And then it no longer matters, but you're there and so you're going to buy it anyways, right? But so we look at price tags and say, okay, is it worth this price that I actually am going to pay to own this or to have this? Understand that when God the Father saw you, he said, the price which I have to pay, which is my son, it's worth it. Amen. Because I love you so much, it is worth the price. It's worth the payment that I have to make. Nothing is worth more to God than you. That's a truth that, that you should embrace this Christmas. That's something that you could wrap your arms around. You know, in a world that tells us that our value is only based on what we look like, what we can do, what we have to offer, how we compare up to somebody else, it's good to hear a true message of what you're really worth from God. You are what heaven looks at and says, I can't believe it. Why would the Father ever pay such a high price for them? And he turns out says, because it's worth it. They're worth it. Amen. Third is this. If Christmas is true, it proves to us that we need to have a Savior. I mean, God loves us. He paid the price. and Therefore, somebody has to save us. Somebody has to redeem us. The Bible says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. One of those great theological words that says that he was the perfect payment to cover everything to bring us back to Jesus. Or to bring us back to the Father through the Son. Simeon said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. It's a powerful scripture. You need a savior. I need a savior. Simeon said, I've seen it. 
and now I can die. There is nothing else that could possibly compare in my life than seeing my Savior. The angels declared to the shepherds, A Savior this day is born in Bethlehem. A Savior, the Christ, the Messiah was given. He is the one who came into this world. He lived among us, is what John 1.14 says. He lived a perfect life. And then he gave that life up for you and for me. And so if there's a Savior, number four, there must be a reason we need a Savior. And just understand that this is where I think a lot of people misunderstand the Christian message, the Christmas message. Jesus didn't come to spare you and me from hard times in life. Obviously, look, I mean, Rome was still Rome, even though the Messiah came into their world. I still go through hard times, you still go through hard times. Jesus didn't come to overthrow a government or to take my problems away. He came to save me from sin. He came to save you from your sin. You see, the reason for this season is sin. That's what it's for. It's not for a baby in a manger. It's not for these warm, warm feelings. It's to bring us back to a relation with God. You and I, we need to be saved from sin. We've all done it. We've all experienced it. Anger, heartache, sickness, betrayal, selfishness. You name it. You've had sins against you and you've committed sins against others. And ultimately, you've, you've committed sins against God. And only one can take that from you, and that is Jesus. We all need to get to this place where we can have what we cannot give ourselves, that only God can give us that perfect gift, a Savior from our sins. You know, whatever you have done against God or a person, all your wrongs, all the wrongs against you, it separates us from a relationship with God. Read your Bibles. That's what it all talks about. God is holy means set apart from sin. And somebody had to bring us back to him. It's Jesus. This means that without Jesus, because of my sin, when I die without Jesus, I can't be with God. You can't be with God without Jesus. We see without Jesus, that moment you take your last breath in this life, you pass into eternity. And without Jesus, you still have your sin. This world still has its sin without Christ. That means you're not in heaven. Because God is pure and he is holy. Can you imagine if God let sinful man into heaven? We do the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden in like in three minutes. We bring sin all over again. And it can't happen. And so God the Father sent us His Son. He washed away our sins through His Son. This is Christmas in its truest and purest form. Except in the, the present of Jesus. This is what we wait for. That comes to my, my fifth thought, or my point. If Christmas is true, which we know it is, then there is hope for this life right now that we live. And there is hope for life after death. Amen. You know, so many people would say that Jesus was a good prophet or a teacher or a man. But he is God. He is God the Son. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to life eternal. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No one, can, no one can come to the Father except through me. 72 times in the Gospels, Jesus proclaimed that he was God. 72 times that he was the promised Messiah to come. He wasn't shy about it. You know, Buddha never said he was God. Muhammad never said he was God. No path to enlightenment ever said they were God. Everybody says there's ways to God, but Jesus said, I am God. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I'm the gate. I'm the bread of life. I'm all these things. I'm everything you need. I'm the sign to bring you back. Grab on to me. I'm what you've been waiting for. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. My wife's the one says amen. Amen? Yeah. amen? That means you agree with something. 72 times. But you know what? He just didn't die on the cross. He rose from the grave. We're going to be talking about that in a couple months from now, an Easter Sunday. But think about this. If, if, if sin, if, if the cross removed the sin from my life, the grave brought God into my life. Understand, when, when, you, when you wrap your arms around Jesus, when, when you accept the Messiah which the world's been waiting for, God comes into you. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, brings you back to life. That moment of salvation, of embracing salvation, I can now live life with hope, but also knowing who's with me, where I'm going. Do I have hardships still? Absolutely. Do I have grief? Absolutely. Do I have times where I just want to go, oh, absolutely. But at least I know who's with me. At least I know who is in me. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. He is a gift worth waiting for. This is what Simeon was waiting for. Salvation. He said, you promised I could see salvation. And now, I've not only seen him, I've wrapped my arms around him. I can die. There's nothing else I am waiting for in this life. Jesus, I mean, the Bible says he's the door. He is that doorway that takes us from death and into life. Jesus is the gift to you and to me of eternal life. He is the beginning. He is the end. Simeon said he is the sign that points us to the Father. I just want to reread verses 34 and 35. It says, then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary and the, baby, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And the sword will pierce your very soul. And then Simeon's out of the story. That's all we hear about him. But what an amazing person. I mean, he in the Christmas story has given us probably a better example than anybody else of how we should respond to Christmas. I would say with that, don't stop opening presents and having meals and coming together, but you should take time with you and your families. Take time and pause a moment with your family to enjoy the greatest present that you have, Jesus. Understand that Christmas Day is not going to change your year. It's not going to change what you've experienced in 2020 or what you're going to experience in 2021, but it can actually complete your life. 
No matter what you will face, you know where you're going to go. You know whose you are. That's amazing. And as I think about that, there's so many things I still want to do, and I'm going to do, and it's you're going to do, but in light of who Jesus is, nothing compares to that. Amen. Everything else in my life is a bonus. Because I know whose I am, I know where I'm going. And this is the best way to start your Christmas season. Knowing whose you are and where you're going. And then the next best thing is sharing that truth with others. Don't just, don't go through this Christmas season just unwrapping presents that are going to break on the 26th. That the battery is going to run out of before New Year's Day. Share the greatest present of ever, ever, Jesus, with your families. Experience it yourself. So I want to just give you a question. End with a question. What have you done with the greatest gift God has ever given? What have you done with Jesus in your life? Is he just somebody that you talk to or sing about on Sundays? Or is he with you all the time? Ask yourself, what do I really need to hold on to this Christmas? We come into Christmas season with so many different ideas or thoughts or baggage or different things. But what are you holding on to? I want to encourage you to hold on to him. Ask yourself, do I need to wrap, not just presents, but wrap my arms around the greatest present this Christmas? Do I need to hold tight onto Jesus? And if you do, I want to encourage you to do that. Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you this day for your son. I'm always grateful for Jesus. Because he's perfect. He's God. He is the only way that I could be saved. He is the Messiah. Not for just Israel, but for the entire world. He is salvation. And Father, I ask that these words I have shared this morning, God, as we talk about Simeon and what he experienced seeing his Savior, that that truth would just get into our hearts. That we'd walk out of these doors and not see what we have to get done or what we may face tomorrow, but that we have the Savior, God the Son, in us and with us everywhere we go. Lord, as we come into Christmas this Thursday and Friday or whenever we celebrate as a family, God, help our focus to be on Jesus the Son and the great gift we have in his salvation. Lord, help us as your church to wrap our arms around Jesus and embrace him in our lives and everything we do, Lord. Always having him in our thoughts, always having him in, in what we do, God. Thinking of him constantly because it's the greatest gift. And Father, if we've been distracted by other things, if, we, if we've thought other things give us fulfillment in life, when I can just get to this point, when I can retire, or when I can have this job, or when we have this many kids, or whatever it might be, God. No, the greatest gift, the greatest thing to arrive at is knowing Jesus. Father, help us to unwrap the greatest present in our lives, your Son, and to hold tightly to him. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. And give me a chance to get to the back before you do. That way you can get your orange and candy cane. Okay? All right. Merry Christmas.